Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and this is Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the stage of the 2017 Code Media Conference in Dana Point, California. You can find full coverage of all the speakers of the conference on Recode.net. Now I'm going to hand you off to my colleague, Recode Senior Media Editor Peter Kafka. So, Marcus, um, you became famous years ago um, through Aquavit, was your, your first sort of big sure. name restaurant, um, big career on t- television. Um, now you're best known as a guy who runs Red Rooster in Harlem, several other restaurants, um, and you're now starting to move into to video as well. Ashley, I used to work with you because you did comms at BuzzFeed, and, and now you run, I think, the, the most important part of BuzzFeed, Tasty. I would say that. Yeah. I'm pretty biased. But I think your bosses say it, too. It's the fastest growing part of BuzzFeed. Yeah. So um, Tasty started a couple years ago, um, about a year and a half ago, and it was right after Jonah, our CEO, had uh, rolled out this distributed strategy, uh, strategy, which you wrote a lot about. And um, back then, it was kind of crazy, right, to publish content directly in the feeds of social. People looked at us like we were nuts, and even your stories were like, how could they do this? Like, what are they, you know, how are they going to build a business? And um, Tasty launched about four months after that, and now a year and a half later, it's built massive scale. We reached 500 million people a month, which is still hard for us to wrap our heads around, and have been able to build a business very quickly in, in about 12 months, and diversified that to commerce through products and experiences. So very quickly, we're able to kind of um, bring this, this distributed strategy to life. Um, people were saying, well, why are Marcus and Ashley coming out? And, and to me, it's really obvious, but, but just to hammer it home, uh, Marcus, you've done work with Tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to show people a few seconds of what it looks like when, you guys all know what a Tasty video looks like. Let me show you what it looks like when Marcus does something. Hi, my name is Marcus Samsa. I'm a chef of Red Rooster Harlem, and I'm going to make fried chicken. Fried chicken for me, it's such an iconic recipe that speaks sort of to American culture, very often Southern American culture. I want to listen to some really good music, sit outside, eat it with my hands, and just share it with some friends. You know, that's living, that's good life. So, so the, that's super cool. So normally, right, you guys sort of, you didn't copyright this because you can't copyright a camera angle, but it's, it's directly over someone's hands making food. In this case, Marcus, we got to yeah. see your face for a couple seconds. Um, you came up um, in a world where you were on cooking shows and, and mm-hmm. we got to see a lot of you. What's it like to do something with, with Tasty where primarily people are hearing your voice yeah. and watching your hands and your, your face and is not sort of associated with, with the video? Well, that's a good thing. A lot of people are happy about that. That's why the viewership <laughs> went up, right? <laughs> no, but I do think that, you know, the core of a chef is always you want to share. You want to share with, you want the people who eat in your restaurant or read your books or whatever it is, you want to share your knowledge and you want people to get excited about uh, what you're doing. And, you know, like, I mean, fascinating about this uh, um, is that food is still so traditional, but maybe in the last five years, it's just changed completely. Not so much that the players in food have changed, but because of the link between food and media. And I I really think that the first big uh, step in that was actually when Gourmet went out of business. And everyone was like, well, the pictures are amazing. How can Gourmet go out of business? But it was really a sign of that sort of, okay, people want food in a completely different way. And then you think about what Eater brought to that experience. And then something like Tasty right now, it's constantly um, evolving. And even something simple as that shot, that camera angle, 
So when you, you know, when you use it, it obviously looks and feels completely different. I mean, I've been shooting TV as long as you, um, I can remember, but no one has shot it that way. So not only was it a different way to distribute, it was also a different way to shoot it. Um, and, and I think that we're just in the beginning on, of sort of this evolution between food and media. And I don't think the chefs will change it too much because chefs are almost like traditional. They're curious, but they're traditional at core. I definitely think that the idea, the other side will come from the consumers, the tech side and the media side will force us to change. Well, so you, you did a lot of TV yeah. early, you're doing video now with mm -hmm. Eater, Vox Media Property, uh, yeah. Tasty. Um, you've got your own digital publishing mm -hmm. operation, Food Republic. Yeah. Um, what is the, is that a money, are these money-making ventures for you or is the money in the restaurants and this is promotional for, for the restaurants? Well, I, I, I knew that, I mean, a couple of things that I always was intrigued by was um, how can I, how can I sort of change the foot traffic of dining and the foot traffic of the conversation? I felt it was, it was just very flat. It was like, and this was something that I thought about when I was, you know, working in France and being in Japan and traveling around the world. I'm like, why is it only that French food is sort of the accepted fine dining, right? And then obviously that has changed. And why is it that if you have something that you want to show your dish, you want to show your daily special, uh, why do you have to wait for like the local paper or New York Times on Wednesday to write about it, right? It has to be a different way. And obviously um, the last 10 years, we've, we've, we've seen that in many, many different ways. So when I had the opportunity to open Red Rooster in Harlem, I started to think, I was like, I'm not going to open a restaurant without not, starting a media space. So we actually started Food Republic uh, in a basement of Red Rooster at the same time. So it was like, there were the tech guys in that room and the cooks in that room. And um, I realized it was pretty similar. Highly passionate people, passionate about their point of view, their voice. Um, very expensive to build both. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I will always want to share my one point of view, and the quickest, best way to cut through that. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's on the phone or if it's whatever, whatever platform is on, as long as it's good content, uh, and the audience would tell us it, whether but, it's But it always supports the restaurant. It's, it's not like you're going to move to a world where you're only interacting with people via media and you're not running a restaurant. Yeah, but I think there's a space uh, very much with the way Ben talked about his sort of $10 a month way. There's the same way. We will, I will continue to do traditional cookbooks. I will continue to do traditional restaurants. And there is a, there's a meeting space and trust space on both sides. You know, Instagram is one way to do that. Doing great videos with, with, with Vox or, or with Tasty could be another way to do that. So I think you have to if you're going to open a restaurant today, if you're going to have a food dialogue with the public today, it's not either or, it's both, but they have to be uh, of quality and they have to be delicious and sticky, otherwise people are not coming back. Ashley, the creation story of Tasty from Zay Frank, who runs video entertainment for BuzzFeed, is you're the, the rocket scientists at BuzzFeed figured out that, was it 90 seconds? 40. 40 seconds, excuse me is the optimum length to show something on Facebook video. Yeah. And then they worked backwards and found out, oh, showing how to make food is, is the best way to use those 40 seconds. Why do you think food is, is the thing that struck as opposed to some other 
you guys have now tried this form of other stuff, but why do you think food landed first? Yeah, the biggest? I, I think that um, food is inherently global, and so is Facebook. Food is inherently social, um, so is Facebook. And so I think it's natural. I think that honestly, it was just like the most obvious first place. Um, you know, what Marcus was saying about his restaurants, I think one thing I would add to that is that um, television is a challenging way to build a relationship with the audience. You can broadcast to the audience, but it's usually, you know, one way. And that social allows us to, to build a relationship with the audience. And, and Marcus's video was pretty interesting. We had a lot of people come up to us and say, it was so funny. I've watched Marcus on TV a thousand times, and I've seen him, and I bought his cookbooks, but I've never felt so connected to him because it felt like his hands were my hands. And I think that social... Um, Social does that for us, and ultimately that is what we cracked. But usually when you watch a tasty video, it's some generic person's hands. You don't know who that person is. Um, you've done stuff with Marcus. I think you did something with uh, Martha Stewart. Do you yep. see this becoming more of a thing where you bring in a celebrity? And also the way Facebook video works, right? You've got a couple seconds where you might see that person's face, and then it moves into really anonymous hands. Yeah, I mean, we had a ton of interest from the food community. Frankly, we grew out of L.A. and not a huge connection to the food community. Um, and so when Tasty got huge, we kind of forgot that we were so big. We had all these chefs coming to us wanting to work with us, and we didn't have a way to work with them. And so we built this format so to figure out how to work with chefs. It performs really well above the median. And, um, and So people, there's a difference between a Marcus Tasty video and a generic Tasty video? I mean, they're largely the same, right? But, I mean, the format certainly is tweaked, and we, we think about it differently. We, um, you know, we, the, we call that series Tasty Story because we need to hear the story from Marcus. We don't just need to figure out how to chop the onion or whatever. We can get that in some other place. But what um, your connection to people over food is really what we focus on, and so that, that's how we, how we work with chefs. We have another um, show that's uh, in partnership with Matthew Hennig's team on, in our company called uh, Worth It. We have another show, Mom vs. Chef. So in those spaces, we also work with um, celebrities more. So Facebook is just starting to sort of experiment with how people who make video on Facebook actually can make money, right? How they can actually, they're going to insert these mid-roll ads. Um, one thing that's particularly relevant about Tasty is that you guys, from the, almost the get-go, have turned this into a, a money-making operation. So how do, how do you make money on a Tasty video? Yeah, so um, our model is that we've learned so much on social and on Facebook that we um, owe it to the advertiser to extend that learning to them. And so we keep, do you, you don't know what that means? So, so when an advertiser, <laughs> so you're, let's say you're a big CPG company. We work with all the big CPG companies, and they come to us and they say, we want some of your scale, right? We want that video. We want that thing you have. Well, we could just build an ad agency production model, right, where we say, okay, we'll do this for you and, like, whatever you want. Um, but what we say to the advertisers, we say, we have done thousands of these videos. And we, you know, we see that when you do, I don't know, um, you know, slow cooker, if you don't do this, people drop off at 15 seconds. And we recommend to you through these, this big archive that we have and all this learning that we have to do this. And so we, the ads that you see, um, the branded content you see from uh, with our advertisers look very similar to Tasty ads. That's on purpose. Um, that's because we believe we have the biggest shot of getting them a hit if you align it with all the things we know on this massive platform. So this is branded content, right? So there's lots big, of definitions. Big consumer company thing, yeah. creates. You help them. You make a tasty video for them. It's branded as tasty, but it's got their product and their branding somewhere. You charge them money for it. It runs in Facebook as content. That's right. Got it. Okay. Just want to make sure I understood it correctly. So that's our and that's core. One of, and, that's, and, and this sounds like an easy thing to do, but it only works if you have massive scale and you guys have sort of cracked that code. What's the, give, give just a sense of scale on, on Facebook? Um, we reach do? 500 million people a month, so that's one in two Americans, one in four people across the world. 
and then this format seems like literally anyone can do it. Anyone can put a, a camera there. I think I see lots of tasty yep. clones. How do you fight back against that? How do you move ahead of that? Yeah, I feel like you kind of open your Facebook feed and everything feels like a tasty video, even if it's not from us. Um, you know, it's obviously very flattering to, to feel like you've made a big impact in the world. I feel I, I've been at BuzzFeed for five years, and it reminds me of when we were really doing lists very well, or best in the business making lists um, and quizzes, and then the New York Times would write a headline, or you know, Rico would write a headline that had a number in it, and people would say, they're copying BuzzFeed. It By the like, way, that's what magazines started at. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We didn't. Um, so I think that uh, at BuzzFeed, we're not so nervous when people start to copy us. In fact, it's usually a pretty good sign of success. Um, I think that in this space, though, um, the probably the copycats have come on a little quicker than than we're normally used to, and because of that, we have had to be very competitive in the app market. So we have to have the best package, you know, the best product. We have to, you know, guarantee the best views, have the most scale, and so um, I think that's largely our answer to it. But we, we try not to focus too much. And one of the things, right, you've done is said, all right, well, everyone now has figured out how to do the overhead camera. We're going to do something else. So you've got a new show, a new format launching. Should we, should we show a clip of it, and then you yeah, can explain what sure. we're watching? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. If I'm being honest here, I don't really eat anything from the sea because my older sister scarred me when I was a kid. This is the perfect opportunity for me to test the theory that your taste buds change with age. Absolutely. Hello, Smorgasburg. My name is Carl Monroe and I am your humble host. Welcome to Tasty Date Night. Today we're here in downtown Los Angeles to watch as two couples put their relationship and culinary skills to the ultimate test in a cooking showdown. Whoever impresses our judge the most can look forward to a romantic date night at one of LA's finest restaurants. Let's bring out our first couple. So this is launching this week? Launches today, Launches Valentine's today. Day, Good timing. date night. Um, your, your, your folks were very concerned that the Toyota's branding up here, so that's, that's brought to us Thank by Toyota. Thank you to Toyota. Um, so that looks, I mean, first of all, it looked like carpool karaoke for a second, but it, <laughs> it looks like sort of traditional food TV, something I would turn on the Food Network and see some version of it. Yeah. Um, and in, beyond the fact that you guys had the word tasty there, it was hard for me to see the association. Is that what you want? Or do you want a direct tie to, to Tasty and, and that? I think there's some places we'll have indirect ties and some will have very direct ties, more like the, the series we do with Marcus. Um, I mean, there is a core thing that we believe in Tasty that we've extended to these shows. We have three shows, um, Tasty Date Night, Mom versus Chef, um, and Worth It. And all of those are about your relationship to another person or another group of people um, over food. And so that is our core belief. And so, for example, we still am, are optimizing the show, um, assuming that you would share that with your wife and say, we should do this, or I wish we could do this, or babe, that moment was so what we would do when we're cooking. The through line so, is sharing. Right. And like, look at this. All the content we should make, whether it's 10 minute, this is an 11 minute um, episode that launches today, whether it's long form or short form, should still have a, um, you know, an inherent piece that is social. People are watching longer videos on Facebook to assume that you only watch 90 seconds, or by the way, that for Facebook 40 group was too Two years ago, if you listen and say, oh, now I need to go run and have my whole team make 40-second videos, it's too late. It's too late. Um, but what's, uh, the, what's the new 40 seconds? I, I don't know if there's a new 40 seconds. I mean, I, I would say that you have the ability to, to certainly go longer um, on Facebook than you ever had before, and the assumption that only short form works is a mistake. That said, we um, we do, you know, we're sticking to our guns, and we believe in this format, and just because they're copycats, and there's 
all these people um, kind of coming after us doesn't mean that we should switch. And so our core format will stay the tasty format that you know and love, but we will innovate around the edges and do shows like this. Marcus, this explosion of food content, and mm -hmm. I usually hate the word content, but let's call it content today, uh, television, video, tasty, does this change the, the way that you, the, that you cook? Does it change the kind of food you're presenting to people? Are people's expectations of what they'll get from you or any other sort of well-known chef, have they changed? Well, I think, I think it does a lot of different things. I think that, um, first of all, younger people are getting involved, right? Uh, so that means that as foodies, even in their, you know, we start at six, seven, to 14, to 21, you know, they know more, we know, our audience know more about food and they know more about ethnic food. So I think a, a place like America, a diverse America, is very well positioned uh, to have great, you know, before the great food was in New York, San Francisco, LA, now every city uh, will have a great sort of local corner restaurant. And you think that's tied to media? And the it's fact tied to media, it's to tied it. before, I mean, I, you know, when I was coming up, you can find one French cookbook in a good bookstore or something like that. Uh, today, you don't have to strive. You can, for, within one second, you can find, you know, recipes, right? And not just one type of recipes, many different. So it helps us to get uh, a younger audience. It helps us to get, you know, people educated around food or be having an engagement around food much earlier. So I think it's completely helped us as chefs uh, being more household names, but also have an audience that comes to our restaurant that is more curious, right? And so I think that has been fascinating for us. Um, you know, you look at a restaurant when I started, uh, it was maybe 80% men and there was business dinners. Uh, you know, they started with two martinis, et cetera, et cetera. Today, we still have that guy, but that guy is actually a minority. The majority of the customers, it's, it's the family at all ages. So I think it's been very positive. I mean, from a sh for me, just as a chef though, it's sort of, you gotta go back to, I mean, it's funny to hear about competition. Competition is in everything and everybody here, right? So you have to have a point of view and you have to have a narrative, whether you open a restaurant or you do a very successful uh, food content site, right? And because people want to know about your point of view. If you have a point of view that is unique, if it is a recipe that is unique, um, people are always gonna come to that. I don't think competition's gonna take, make that go away. Competition actually makes you go back and think about how can I do it harder, better, stronger. So you don't hear a lot about these, but this, they do happen where the idea where the internet allows someone who previously would have had to go up through a gatekeeper and get distribution and get sure. fame and they're able to use YouTube or Twitter to build a business. Ben Thompson built a business yeah. from zero, I think really just a sort of on Twitter. Um, could you do that in food today? Could you, could you be somewhere in the middle of the country with no access to whatever and just build a food brand and a restaurant and sure. culinary I mean, business starting with digital? Well, it's done, I think what it's done, first of all, the great, it's actually put the person with not traditional skills is all of a sudden very relevant, right? And, you, and that wasn't the case before. Before it was one way to come up. Your stuff had to be really, really good, but it was kind of like... And you had to go through a, 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 a line, right? A very traditional line, right? You could actually, you know, have a voice uh, sitting in, in, a, in, a, in, in the middle of nowhere where food might not be the center of what you, what you think about. But so there is a different way to enter it today, absolutely. But 
people, whether they come to you on Insta, whether they come to Twitter, whether they come to you, however they walk into you, in order for them to come back, it has to be of value. And so I think that, yeah, people, uh, that's why, for example, when I started cooking, I cooked Scandinavian food, right? We're a minority, it's a you, small you country. You grew up in Sweden. You grew up in Sweden. One of the reasons why Scandinavian cooking has become more popular is obviously because people can access it in so many different ways today, right? So it's, it's helped the smaller countries, helped the more obscure cuisines, and also because people want to take everything to the max, right? If it was before, it was eating blowfish, eating uh, blowfish in Japan. Today, it's eating raw chicken in Japan, right? Everything is constant. And the online space is a great space to experience that, but maybe you, don't, maybe you don't go to a restaurant and experience that, right? So you can be part of a food dialogue uh, and, uh, in a completely different way than, than before, and I think that's fascinating, and I think it's not going to stop at that. It's going to continue and evolve. I had, I had lunch at your restaurant, Red Rooster, a few, few, few weeks ago. It was great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Um, and there was a big table there of older people from New Jersey, and they found <laughs> that you were in the restaurant, hey, and they were delighted to talk to you. Um, I, I don't want to... I'm guessing, but uh, maybe I'm wrong, that they did not discover you through Tasty or Instagram or Eater. Um, are, is still the bulk of your business coming from people who've learned about you from television? Well, so that, that table, um, that audience, there was through a book club, right? Very much Yes Chef, which was one way of connecting, right? My, my memoir, that was one way of connecting. And it does have that 50-plus lady in New Jersey, very important part of our, our, our base, uh, or Connecticut. Um, and then they bring their daughter that maybe did discover it uh, uh, through Tasty or through uh, Instagram, right? So there is a common way for, for two different generations to celebrate uh, Red Rooster or Harlem and, and feel part of it. That was never a possibility before, yes. Even the idea of a chef doing a memoir 15 years ago would have been like, why would, why would you do that, right? So I think, again, it's like, if you're starting a space today as a chef, I, all these sort of uh, points are important. Your, your, your online content, your, your restaurant's gotta be really yummy and delicious, of course, um, but so does your books, and so does your Insta, and so does your BuzzFeed video. Can you, can you be a successful, restaurateur, chef, without doing media? Could you say, I don't want any well, part of this, I just want to make food? You can, but then I think you shut everything down, right? You got to go, there's no space in the middle. So you either don't do ever an interview and you just cook in that very obscure place and you create that buzz that way. But I don't think that you can do, there's no space in the middle. You're either doing your eight seats where you're you know, only serving you know, lamb balls <laughs> on Tuesdays and no one can get in, that's the space to do it and you, and you don't talk about it at all uh, or you do it the other way. So there's still media, it's just that you're not participating in the media and the media is building up around you. Sure. Uh, we, we talked about Marcus's career briefly. And I, I want to go back to yours for a second, Ashley, because usually the people I, I, I work with in comms, um, they might tell me that they want to end up running something, but they usually keep continuing to do comms. Yeah. Some of my best friends are in comms, nothing wrong with that, but they usually aren't handed a giant franchise for a really big media company. So how'd you get that job? It is unclear. Um, <laughs> I mean, aren't we all doing comms in this room? No, I mean, 
It's kind of surprising, actually, that more comms people and media don't end up taking business leader roles. If you look in politics, um, you know, every major strategist, every chief of staff has a comms background. It's all about understanding media. Um, when I started comms, um, I remember thinking, like, oh, I don't really want to be a publicist forever and whatever. And um, one, of the, one of our reporters in the Hollywood Bureau at the time, this was like five years ago, and he was like, what are you talking about? Like, comms is like the best way to learn about media. Like, it used to be you, like, launched a, you know, your new film, and you called a magazine, you called a TV, you know, place, and you wouldn't ever call it digital. And now it's, like, incredibly complicated. And so I think growing up and cutting my teeth in that space, in addition to working with Jonah, um, has actually been hugely And did you raise your hand and say, I see you have this really important business called Tasty. I'd like to run it? No. Jonah asked me to run. Jonah Peretti, you Yeah. That. Jonah asked me to run, run the business, and, which was you know, definitely a big jump for me. Um, but again, I, you know, I was the chief of staff and, and a lot of the work I did rolling out our distributed strategy, working on all these things internally really did lead to what Tasty is today. And so it was, um, it felt more natural once I got into the job, but it was definitely a, a big jump at the beginning. Very thankful for that. I have more questions for you, but I want to open it up to the audience. I'm not sure the first. president came from that experience. What's that? I'm not sure our current president came from that experience. Okay, well. But you talk about politics. <laughs> Well, I have some politics new, questions, too. New age. Yeah. New age. Do you guys have questions for Marcus or Ashley, or should we just keep talking here? We'll keep talking. Let's talk about politics. Yes. We, we had lunch. I said, what's going on? And you started talking about Brexit, which yeah. is not where I thought the conversation would start. Why is Brexit relevant to what you're doing? Well, um, we're, I mean, we're growing a lot. I've been able to, out of that basement uh, in, Har in Harlem, we've been able to build um, over 30 restaurants. Uh, 20 uh, of them are in Scandinavia, Sweden, Norway, and uh, Denmark. And then, um, but Rooster, I've been very, you know, carefully sort of bridging on when to do the next uh, Rooster. So we're opening Red Rooster in May in uh, Shoreditch, which I'm very, very excited Red about. Red Rooster is like sophisticated soul food, right? Is that, is yeah, that yeah, we're trying to be. Not so, 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 way to describe <laughs> we're trying to be. That's what we're aiming for that. But uh, we're really excited to be in Shoreditch, and uh, this I planned, is in the UK. Yeah, in the UK. So I planned it for we planned it for three years, uh, two years at least. And then last summer, when when this you know when Brexit happened, you kind of had to change everything because I you know we planned on having a lot of Scandinavian staff working working in London, and we you know papers was never an issue, and it became a big issue. So. You know, you can plan as much as you want. Because you literally can't staff the restaurant the way you wanted to staff I it? I can't staff, uh, staff it at all the way I wanted to. So it took me sort of three, four months to come up with a completely different strategy on that. And, uh, you know, it's just these things that you can't, you plan, you're careful, you're, you think about your brand, you think about, you know, your positioning, and then something like that happened that just changes everything. So, but, you know, it's part about being uh, in, in the restaurant industry. You've got to pivot, you've got to change. Um, and uh, you know, we're opening in May. And, and what, is, what is the, you know, we'll spend some time talking to various people today about this, but the results of the election, especially in the media business, lots yeah. of soul searching and reflection. What are, what are we not understanding about a big chunk of this country? Who are we not speaking to? Countries polarized. Making media, making culture, making food. Have you guys rethought at all about, all right, how do I reach this audience? Or maybe how do I double down on the existing audience I have? Are you, are you reframing anything? Um, Tasty was kind of in a funny place. A lot of people were asking questions. Do we really know, you know, coastal elites? But in fact, Tasty over indexes in the South and the Midwest. And in fact, I kind of felt like we 
were speaking to an audience that felt largely underrepresented in, in media. Um, so I think, I think that we kind of are staying our course and not totally changing because the election, I mean, a lot of people were asking us for comfort food, you know, in addition to that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say we're making any big, any big shifts for Tasty. You know, I, certainly BuzzFeed as a whole has, has made it very clear, you know, where we stand on, on this issue. But Tasty, I think, will, um, is in a kind of different stand. spot. To the left, and you stand in opposition. I'd say a stand like adjacent. Maybe you're a, you're a failing right. pile of garbage in Donald Trump's That's eyes. What they so say. You guys have embraced that, so good for you. Mm -hmm. Marcus, but I mean, do you uh, think about that? But I mean, I, I think about it. I mean, first of all, there would be no American food without immigrants. Let's just like let's not even. There is no. I I am an immigrant to this country. Uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I just cried. It was one of the saddest days. 9-11 is by far the saddest thing that you know, I've experienced. And I'll have to say that weekend was the saddest thing. I came to this country, choose to come to this country based on diversity. You know, it makes it very clear, especially as a, as a black person, you come here and you feel that everything is possible. Not perfect, but you feel included, you feel engaged. I look at my staff that are built with this beautiful, misfits, you know, from people coming from all over the world and just being excited and working together. So, you know, we look at this, you know, we look at this time and, and you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's sad, but it's also a lot of comedy coming out of this, right? Um, and it's the only way to think about it because this moment is documented, will be documented. And uh, um, you're going to ask, you, you know, I have a son and I think about it every day, like, He's going to ask me, Marcus, where were you when all this noise, you know, when he goes to school, he's going to say, where were you? What did you do? So I think just thinking about that drives me, um, and I, I just get emotional just talking about it. I mean, this concept of what would we eat if it wouldn't be for our diversity? Eat, even Mike Pence would like to eat in Harlem. <laughs> even, even Bannon if they come up, are you going to give them a Hamilton lecture? Or, or uh, I thought, I thought they handled that pretty well. I think, um, I think Bannon should just stay where he's at. He should just stay where he's at. But he, if he comes up, he's welcome. You'll feed him. I just think he should stay where he's at. Okay. <laughs> we will leave it there. Ashley, Marcus, thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. You can find all the podcasts from Code Media and our other conferences at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Or just go to Recode.net for full coverage of the Code Media Conference. If you like this sort of interviews, then good news. We do interviews just like them every week on Recode's free podcasts. I host Recode Decode and co-host Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good of The Verge. And the producer of Code Media, Peter Kafka, has new interviews with the smartest people from the media world every Thursday on Recode Media. You can find all these shows on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Or just go to recode.net slash podcasts.